0: Welcome to Writers Forum, I'm your host, Mike Tusa. Today, I'll be interviewing Elizabeth Mika Brina about her wonderful memoir entitled Speak Okinawa. Ms. Brina was a recipient of the Bread Loaf Rona Jaffe Foundation Scholarship and the New York State Summer Writers Institute Scholarship. Her work has appeared in The Sun, River Teeth, Lit Hub, and Gulf Coast Magazine, among others. She lives currently in New Orleans and teaches at UNO. Welcome to the show.
1: Thank you so much for having me.
0: Well, let's let's jump right in. This memoir, which I've read, has many layers. Uh, The simplest explanation, though incomplete, is the intersection between the historical and the personal. The historical being the history of Okinawa, and the personal being your parents' relationship and your own life being the daughter of an American soldier and an Okinawan mother. Did you realize that there would be this intersection before you started to write your memoir?
1: Uh, yeah, that was actually uh, the how it originated, is uh, the whole inspiration for it. Um, my mother had uh, recently uh, gotten baptized at the uh, uh, Rochester Japanese Christian Congregation, and uh, uh, I didn't know anything about this church uh, until she invited me to her baptism. And then um, When I got there, I realized that all the members of the church, uh, they were all Japanese, uh, and um, almost all of them were women, and almost all of the women uh, who were my mother's age or older were married to um, men who had served in the U.S. military. And uh, um, that was a huge revelation for me because I, I had grown up just thinking, my family was so strange and, and just you, you know, very, very unique. We were very like I, I had never seen anyone else like us mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, with uh, with my white father and my Okinawan mother and then me. Um, and then so to see all these women in one place with the same uh, type of marriage as my mother was like, okay, this is not some strange uh, coincidence, something's going on here. Uh, and that's when I started to really dig in and, and, and figure out like what happened, <laughs> what happened in the world and, uh, and throughout history to, to bring all these people together, to bring the, the uh, so, that my, so that my mother uh, could meet my father and so that these women met their husbands, like what happened? And uh, and then, yeah, just like, how did how did I come to be?
0: <laughs> and is, did you find, as you were doing it, that you found parallels between how the United States treated Okinawa, how, let's say, your father treated your mother, and how you attempted to adapt to who you were in the United States?
1: Oh, absolutely. Uh, um, yeah, then it started to all click and come together for me. Uh, you know, the, just realizing that the marriage was the... the the origins of uh, um, imperialism and war and colonialism and militarism. Uh, so, yeah, Okinawa uh, has been subjugated by um, many nations uh, throughout history. And and I felt that kind of happening in the dynamics with the marriage. Even though you know he's my father and he's a he's a wonderful man, but I think he he internalized all that kind of superiority. And as and my mother also internalized all that inferiority and so it played out in the dynamics a lot and especially since my mother couldn't really speak english very well and uh so she was always kind of in the shadow of him
0: yeah well let's see if we can get you to read an excerpt uh, from the book if you need to do a little introduction to it that's fine
1: sure sure um well i guess uh something that i'd like to say before i read the excerpt for people who don't know about okinawa um is that uh, maybe one of the most famous uh, things Okinawan is known for, infamous, uh, is the Battle of Okinawa, Um, and it's something I didn't know before, how it completely destroyed the island and um, uh, uh, just devastated it. Uh, And then almost everyone was left, a third of the population was killed, and almost everyone was left homeless. And then um, after that began this period of um, militarization, and it was actually a territory of the United States um, right after World War II ended uh, up until uh, 1972, which is a, a little snippet that I'm reading from okay. right now. <clears throat> In 1972, Okinawa reverted, or rather was sold back to Japan for the sum of $685 million. The Okinawans who were skeptical held their breath. The Okinawans who were hopeful celebrated. They sang and danced. They marched in parades and waved Japanese flags. They thought they were done with the U.S. military, done with the bases. The bases remain. Since 1972, nearly 9,000 crimes including murders by shooting, by stabbing, by strangulation, vehicular homicide, theft, arson, rape, sexual assault, have been committed by U.S. military personnel stationed in Okinawa. 169 court-martial cases for sexual assault, higher record at U.S. military bases, uh, excuse me, higher record than at U.S. military bases in any other nation, have occurred in Okinawa. Today, 20% of Okinawan land mass is still controlled by the U.S. military more land controlled by a foreign military than in any other nation. Okinawa became known as R&R Island, a place where troops could relax and recuperate between stints at war. My father was stationed on Okinawa after he fought for four years in Vietnam. He met my mother in Kadena, just outside the Army base, at a club called the Blue Diamond, where she worked as a waitress, getting paid $1 for every drink she got a serviceman to buy for her. And here is where history becomes mine, alive in me. He sits on a stool. He is strong, confident. He is handsome, movie star handsome, Elvis handsome. He smiles with straight white teeth and flashes a wad of crisp cash. He orders a bourbon on the rocks in a language and accent that signal power. She sits next to him. She is petite, slender. She is beautiful, exotic. She smiles and twirls a few strands of her dark, dark hair, as smooth as silk, flowing down to her waist like water. Is love possible in a place like this, in a situation like this, between two people from separate worlds on opposite sides of war and conquest? I will never know how the story began, only how it ends. Perhaps to someone who had grown up eating sweet potatoes for every meal, sleeping in the same room as her mother, father, and six siblings, he must have seemed like a way out. Perhaps to someone who had just spent four years in combat, she was too vulnerable to resist. He had to save her. And so, a year later, in 1974, two years after the reversion and one year before the Vietnam War ended, they married on the island. Marriage to locals was discouraged, but as a commanding officer, my father granted his own approval. It was a small ceremony, only Oba attended. My grandfather was too sick, my uncles were too angry, my aunts were too sad, scared, maybe jealous that their sister was marrying an American, a soldier, that their sister was leaving. Oba managed to scrounge enough money to rent two traditional wedding kimonos and hire a photographer to document the event. My mother has seen her fa- my mother has seen her mother three times in the 45 years since
0: she left. All right, so let's talk a little bit more about um, your grandmother's ordeal, okay? Mm-hmm. So, your grandmother is actually on the island when it is being bombed and attacked, correct? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, she goes through the emotional experiences of poverty, the chaos during the bombing herself. She, as I've read, lives in caves. She's scavenging for food. And you write something really interesting. You write that, quote, I believe these are inherited, passed on us like brown eyes or the shape of a nose, close quote. Can you explain how you came to that? conclusion. Mm -hmm. You know, what triggered that idea for you?
1: Um, well, I hadn't, uh, you know, like I said, it it wasn't until I attended my mother's baptism, um, that I started to investigate this. And, uh, and that was until I was 34 years old. So I had, I was completely ignorant of, uh, Okinawan history. And, um, what my grandmother went through and then what my mother went through. And so I just thought of, uh, you know, I had no context for it. Um, my mother was a, growing up, I uh, I thought my mother was very, you know, I perceived her as someone who was very sad and very lonely, uh, and she, she drank quite a lot. And I never, I just blamed her for it, mm-hmm. you know, uh, um, and thought it was just, uh, that she was weak, and why can't she just get herself together? Um, but once I learned the history, I realized that there, you know, there's no way she could have avoided that or escaped it. That she, uh, because of what my grandmother went through, because of what all the people of Okinawa went through, what she grew up in, and how she absorbed all of that sadness and grief, and then that set her on a path. Uh, that set her on a certain path, and then when she had me, she raised me in a certain way and setting me in a certain path, and and, and that's how I believe uh, history perpetuates and, 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 and becomes inherited. Uh, um, I mean, I know there's actual <laughs> science behind it, but I'm not aware of the, the, the science. I just know the experience.
0: it it was interesting to read that i think there's something called epigenetics which actually mirrors exactly what you're saying Mm -hmm. well let's talk a little bit more about the book then Mm -hmm. there are lots of revelations in the book about your parents uh you just mentioned for example your mother's drinking which comes across Mm -hmm. you also talk about your father's ptsd Mm -hmm. um, and you know about what you describe as his bigotry right uh, you write about these things, and you say it feels a little bit like a betrayal as you write about them. And there's a, a very cute, I think that's the right word, dialogue towards the end of the book where your mother is excitedly telling her friends about your book, and you say, you know, maybe maybe you shouldn't tell them about it. How did they react to what you had written? Um,
1: uh, They're amazing, yeah. They were really, uh, um, they were very, very supportive throughout um, because I kept, I kept warning them. I kept saying, like, uh, "I'm sorry," like you know, preemptively apologizing. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. And then I, I right before it, um, uh, dur- during the the revision and the editing process, I said, "Do you want to read it?" Very, <laughs> um, very, very scared uh, um, for them to read it, and they said, "No, we trust you. Uh, we, w- we will wait until it comes out." So just. Um, Yeah, just so much trust and generosity on their part to say like these. This is your life. Uh, These are your stories. Uh, And then after they read it, um, my mom, uh, my mom actually read it, and it was her the first book that she ever read. And she said that uh, she didn't understand most of it, but um, what she could understand, uh, she said uh, was true. You know, she's like it's true, and I'm not embarrassed you know, because it it happened. Um, I was more nervous for my father to read it because, uh, I mean, basically the whole book is um, really sort of elevating my mother, uh, um, finding out who she was. I was so estranged from her her for so long, so it was finding out who she is and, and making her more of a person and understandable to me where my father was being very much knocked off his pedestal. <laughs> and I thought that he would, I thought that he would be angry. I thought he would, he might take it as like another, you know, this kind of, uh, you know, he adopt the, the kind of the, the Trump rhetoric of like, you know, like uh, the white man's been, you know, taking a beating, uh, like the kind of thing. Like, a, a, um, But he was really um, gracious. Like he said, he, he, he said that he learned a lot and that he wished that he had known all of this sooner. So it it's was interesting. amazing. Yeah.
0: It's mm-hmm. interesting because there's another part in the book, and we'll talk about this in a second, where your dad gets to a point where he's not sure he's relevant anymore. Mm-hmm. And I wondered when I was reading the book if the book itself maybe perhaps made him feel relevant again. Mm-hmm. I don't maybe. know if that's something that, yeah. that had crossed your mind. Well, can we get you to read another excerpt? Sure. sure. And again, if you need to... Um, Give us a little intro or whatever. That's fine too.
1: Okay, um, this is a chapter. Uh, I'm reading from a chapter called "One and it basically is. Um, it's just about how what it was like for me and my mom to grow up in this very, you know, uh, how do I describe this town? Um, <laughs> just the 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 typical uh, um, American. Suburb, uh, and then and, and in the 80s, <laughs> um, uh, and and very Lily White, and and you know my mom and I stuck out like sore thumbs. So, uh, um, so this is just kind of talking about that uh, experience. Um, so. <clears throat> in middle school, the names get worse. Sometimes they call me Chink or Gook, and when I tell them I am not Chinese or Korean, they call me Jap, as well as a more original yet terribly unclever pejorative, Gorilla Woman because of my flat face, pug nose, and thick eyebrows. They tear pictures of gorillas, chimpanzees, and monkeys from magazines and shove them into my desk and locker. This is the year 1992. This is before the obligatory people of color are exposed to mainstream America through Gap and T-Mobile ads. I guess I look strange, unfamiliar. I guess the way I look makes them uncomfortable. We are still extras, one-dimensional villains and sidekicks. But I don't know if anything can account for how cruel I am to my mother. I ignore her as much as I can, disregard her as much as I can. I rush off to bed just before she comes home from the restaurant. I pretend to be asleep. I don't want to eat the beautiful meals she spends all day preparing when she doesn't have to work. I mock her pronunciation behind her back. I roll my eyes and snicker to myself when she can't read the basic instructions on a shipping label at the post office. I cut up a bunch of her clothes, dresses, and kimonos she has stashed in boxes. I cut them up because they're hers. I cut them up because I need them to sew patches onto my jeans and jackets. I don't bother to ask permission. I mean, she never wears those dresses and kimonos anyway. Sometimes she gets so frustrated at not knowing the words that she hits me. She slats me across the face or smacks me on the head repeatedly or pulls my hair so hard that part of my scalp forms a tiny bump and throbs afterwards. Sometimes my father has to yank her off of me. I never hit her back, though. Not because she is my mother and I respect her, but the exact opposite. She is weak. She is a weak woman who talks funny and looks strange and cooks strange food no one else eats. And she gets drunk, mostly on her days off. She never drinks when she is alone with me, but when she starts, she can't stop. She drinks sake and wine, and when the sake and wine run out, she switches to bourbon, which is my father's booze of choice. Sometimes my father has to block her from the front door. She charges and crashes into a stout pillar of a body, trying to escape. Then he wrestles and restrains her, pins her to the floor, until she punches, kicks, wriggles free, and then she starts charging again. She wants to go back to Okinawa, she screams, but she is shit-faced and barefoot and wearing only a nightgown. Sometimes he has to drag her to the bedroom by her armpits, legs kicking and flailing, screaming, "'and then he tosses her, gently, of course, onto the bed. "'She is tired but belligerent, crawling to the edge of the bed, "'trying to escape again. "'My father waits at the edge, ready to block her, "'ready to grab her and toss her, gently, of course, "'back down onto the bed. "'He stands guard for the rest of the night "'with one foot propped on the edge of the bed "'and one elbow propped on his knee, "'assuring me with a smile "'that she will feel better in the morning. "'We stand guard and watch her together, "'making sure she doesn't leave.' Because even though I don't want her to be my mother, I don't want her to leave. We stand guard and watch her together until she whimpers herself to sleep. I wish I had crawled into bed with her, told her not to worry, told her that I am her daughter, I am home. I wish I had been on her side, as she was always on mine. But I was a little girl then, and more than a little scared and selfish, and I didn't want to be near her. Sometimes I wonder how different our lives might have been if we had lived in Manhattan, even the not-so-nice parts, even Brooklyn or Queens or the Bronx, if we had lived in Seattle or San Francisco. Or what if I grew up now? Is the world kinder, better now, or am I just older?
0: That's nice. All right, one more thing. You write in detail about feeling invisible and irrelevant as a child, and then you juxtapose that a bit with your father having that similar sense as he aged and his health deteriorated. Did you ever discuss this with him?
1: Mm, not um, not directly. Uh, he jokes about it a lot. Like he, um, he, you know, I think that the joking is part of his coping mechanism. Uh, um, yeah, he's always joking about how old he's getting, how fat he's getting. He can't do anything anymore. Uh, but... Um, yeah we never talked directly about it. I think that that would be uh, too scary for both of us for both of you yeah, absolutely <laughs>
0: <laughs> okay <laughs> you 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 have laid out a lot of history of Okinawa, most of which I didn't know uh, in the book. Did you know much of this before you started writing and if it, if not, how long did it take you to do your research uh, to be able to put it in a coherent form in the book? Um,
1: hmm. I would say, uh, well, first of all, no, I didn't know anything, uh, um, which is, uh, you know, part of the whole reason for writing this book and part of the whole reason uh, I am who I am is because of not knowing this
0: for right. so long. Right. Uh, and but you were trying so hard to be American. Right. right?
1: Exactly. Okay. All right. Right. So
0: then you start doing the research. Uh, and I would say altogether it took about six years. Um
1: it took six years to write the book.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and I, and i was and I was researching the whole time uh, little snippets here and there because there there's it's hard to find things. it was hard to find, things, um, it was hard to find uh, texts that were in English that weren't just about the battle and that weren't just about weren't from the the u s. point of view, how difficult the battle was for for the u s. so I had i, I had to uh, dig around a lot and i found um i found some uh a few amazing memoirs uh, by women who had survived the battle of okinawa and that really
0: helped a lot did you talk to any other family members about it as you were doing the research
1: um i talked to my mother uh but i you know my my mother's family did not speak any english and for a while, uh, when I did go to visit, I was asking, I was trying to ask them questions, and my mother translating, but you could tell it made them everybody very uncomfortable. <laughs> yeah, okay. my, my mom didn't want to ask, and my uh, my her sister and her brother did not want to answer money. either. So, okay. it, you know, right. just kind of dropped it. <laughs> right,
0: well, we're gonna, I'm going to get you again to read a little bit about that if you can. Uh, I, I think it's uh, an sure. excerpt you flagged on page one thirteen. Mm-hmm. Thank you.
1: Yeah, this is um, just about uh, this is how I went through incorporating the the history into into my personal narrative, and I and I did that by using the first person plural uh, because I wanted, um, like you know, we were saying before, I had rejected it for so long, I was ignorant for so long that I wanted a way to be like, this is mine too, this is part of me. So this is uh, um, after the battle, and this is around the the militarization of the war. Um, It has to do with how my parents met. Um, We are done with this war, but they are not. They have a war to fight in Korea and then a war to fight in Vietnam. As long as communism is a threat, Vice President Richard Nixon announces during his visit in 1953, the United States will hold Okinawa. They must use our land to build a fortress to protect the free world, a world in which we are not included. They must use our land to launch ships that carry tanks and guns, to launch planes that drop bombs. We shudder with each sound as ship after ship departs, as plane after plane takes off, remembering the damage and devastation, the slaughter those ships and planes have caused. They must use our land to store missiles and poisonous gases. We feel guilty, complicit. Even though we have no choice, forests and fields that have just begun to heal are bulldozed and replaced with concrete. Farms that once grew pineapple and sugarcane, crops that sustained our meager economy, are bulldozed and replaced with concrete. Family owned plots that have been passed down for generations are confiscated, often at gunpoint, and residents are evicted. Homes are bulldozed and burned and replaced with concrete. By what becomes known as the Bayonets and Bulldozers Campaign, over 50,000 of us lose titles to our land. In 1956, as part of mass demonstrations and protests, as part of our all-island land struggle, 100,000 of us assemble at their headquarters in Naha, and they agree to pay us for the land they already stole. But it is not enough, not nearly enough. So we become labor. We are hired to build bases, We are hired to build barracks, armories, loading docks, landing strips, fences, gates, more roads. We are hired to serve food in their cafeterias and clean their houses. The prettiest of us, those of us who have curves and speak the best English, get to work at the post office and fancy restaurants like McDonald's. Cities form around these bases with bright neon signs and English advertising to them, welcoming them. With bars and clubs, where soldiers can yell and laugh, fight and flirt, and spend money like it's their last day on Earth, because, well, who knows? Their last day could be very soon. They are fighting a war, and they pay us to help them forget. But we remember. We
0: always remember. Thank you. Mm -hmm. All right, I'm gonna turn it a little more personal. Okay. Uh, You have detailed a lot of revealing things about yourself and your own experiences in the book. Did that process come easily?
1: Um, yes and no, uh, because you know, it was uh, it was very, very painful to uh, go over uh, like how um, mean <laughs> I was to my mom and uh, um, you know, and how lonely she must have been, uh, and even lonelier because she was uh, rejected by her daughter. but uh, but easy because like I had to get it out. You know, like, it was just, yeah, it was very cathartic to just put it on paper
0: and um, own up to it (laughs) and try to understand it. So, Mm -hmm. you know, so they say writing is Mm -hmm. (laughs) self-illuminating. And I would think that that would be especially true with a memoir. If you had to pick one thing that you learned about yourself in writing this memoir uh, that you didn't know or realize until you were writing it, what would it be?
1: Um... It's, it's not one thing in particular, but kind of the whole, um, I think, uh, you know, trauma, like where, you know, whether it's inherited or it's inflicted or it's experienced firsthand, it's, you know, uh, tends to get very repressed and, and very and, and denied, you know. And I think that it was good for me um, only to see the like the cruel things I've done. Also, just just how uh, like I went through a lot, uh, and um, and yeah, I think that let, that helped me uh, uh, forgive myself, you know, uh, and yeah, so well, <laughs> and so it. yeah, it was very it was very uh, healing <laughs> altogether. All right, well,
0: that is all the time we have for today. Mm-hmm. I want to thank our guest Elizabeth Miki Brina. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've been discussing her wonderful memoir entitled Speak Okinawa. Uh, thank you for coming in. Thank you so much for having me. And until next time, I'm Mike Tusa, and this has been the Writer's Forum.